Hello, and welcome to the Strategica podcast from the Hoover Institution, analyzing the intersection of military history and contemporary national security concerns. You can find us online at hoover.org forward slash strategicum. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, and today we'll be examining the topic of the most recent issue of Strategica, how will new gas and oil production affect America's military and geostrategic role abroad? And we are joined today by the author of the historical backgrounder in this issue, Williamson Murray, the Ambassador Anthony D. Marshall Chair of Strategic Studies at Marine Corps University and a member of Hoover's <laughs> Military History Working Group. Wick, thanks for joining us. I'm delighted to be here. So why don't we start this way, just sort of setting the table. How how would you describe the advances that the United States has made as regards energy over the last decade or so if if you were explaining it to someone who had been in a coma, to someone who had no idea how we got from here to there? I think uh, there are two major elements in it. Uh, um, the first, uh, um, uh, and in some ways the most important, is the uh, fracking effort uh, for natural gas has uh, uh, radically changed the U.S. Uh, position uh, uh, in the world in terms of uh, natural gas supplies. To make it uh, um, soon a net exporter, um, it has drastically reduced, um, uh, if you will, the uh, cost of natural gas in the United States, which has major implications uh, uh, for uh, both uh, um, electrical costs uh, and uh, the energy costs of businesses as, as well as uh, uh, individuals. So that's a major player. Um, that was followed uh, shortly after, after by the fracking, uh, particularly in Texas and in North Dakota, of the uh, shale oil uh, fields, um, which has had, uh, again, a major um, uh, impact uh, in terms of um, uh, both U.S. oil prices um, and uh, the world oil prices. It's added uh, uh, something like 4 million uh, barrels uh, of production capacity uh, to uh, 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 the U.S. production, um, which has uh, in turn uh, um, driven down uh, the price of uh, crude oil. Um, uh, so uh, the impact is enormous, and it, it, while we, uh, the United States, will probably never be uh, have sufficient oil production to uh, uh, make it. Uh, totally independent, or even if you include the Canadians, it's still uh, given us a far uh, better position uh, than all of the uh, other uh, major uh, um, industrial areas of the world. So those are the economic implications. Walk us through what some of these strategic application, implications rather, uh, for the United States are as a result of this boom. Well, um, one of the Clearly, uh, unintended effects was that uh, it has dropped uh, um, uh, Russian uh, um, Russia's uh, um, earnings uh, uh, um, enormously, which I think is going to have a, a uh, uh, one hopes anyway, a sobering effect on the thugocracy that uh, uh, Vladimir Putin is uh, running. Um, uh, and um, now. Uh, the interesting aspect of this is the oil prices might not have dropped so much if the Saudis had been willing to cut production. Uh, but interestingly enough, um, the uh, Saudis uh, uh, have kept the production up, not so much because of the Balkan uh, threat, if you will, but for the same reasons in 1985 that they kept production up, which was to um, 
cut substantially uh, the uh, Iranian uh, earnings, uh, um, uh, and not either the Russian or the uh, Balkan earnings. Um, this is again a, a uh, one more uh, <clears throat> indication of the, if you will, the intense. Um, and increasing uh, the hostile competition between uh, Shia uh, and Sunni uh, in the Middle East. So in other words, we should understand that as the Saudis are willing – this isn't about – because a lot of people have argued that that's to undercut fracking. But you're saying this is about the Saudis being willing to take an economic hit if it undercuts Iran. Uh, absolutely. The, the Saudis uh, um, probably view the uh, Balkan thing as a major plus because, if you will, uh, it's enabled the uh, collapse of oil to substantially uh, uh, harm the Iranians, whereas the Saudis can more than take the hit uh, given the amount of uh, uh, reserves, uh, uh, financial reserves they have uh, and uh, uh, their economic position. Let's talk a little bit about the political dynamics that are at work here because you make an interesting observation in your piece for Strategica, which is that the people who are most adamantly opposed to a big military presence in the Middle East may actually be undercutting that goal with their stance on energy. Explain that. I, I think there's an extraordinarily dangerous situation uh, that's moving uh, uh, in the uh, Middle East, uh, and it reflects, uh, uh, if you will, the overcommitment uh, um, in terms of the uh, the invasion of uh, of uh, Iraq in 2003, and then the uh, unwillingness of uh, Bush administration and the uh, American military to own up to the insurgency until 2006. And then we made an additional, even, uh, if you will, uh, equally uh, disastrous choice in 2009 to bail totally out of Iraq. Uh, and the consequences are a, a, a enormously, uh, um, if you will, fragile situation um, in which, uh, because it is a civil war and a religious civil war, uh, at worst, uh, the capacity of the locals to do damage uh, and to, uh, um, um, if you will, um, spread disorder throughout the region has increased exponentially in the last uh, decade and a half. Now, um, the dangers, uh, and this is where uh, U.S. commitment of ground forces is so essential, um, um, and the unwillingness uh, to do that, raises some really major issues. For example, the major Saudi oil-producing areas um, are largely inhabited by Shia, um, um, uh, and um, uh, the possibility of, of disorder spreading to Saudi Arabia uh, is, uh, um, has enormous uh, potential um, uh, consequences. Um, and that, I think that explains why the Saudis have moved major military forces uh, to deal with the uh, um, Shia, um, or at least closely connected to Shia um, uh, crew uh, in Yemen, which overthrew uh, the government and has created uh, enormous uh, disorders uh, in uh, uh, in Yemen. Uh, and so this is where... It, while the U.S. Uh, is in a much better position, I think, over war, uh, economically, any really catastrophic breakdown of order in the Middle East has unbelievably uh, dangerous consequences for the global order, and the U.S. economy depends on the uh, uh, globalized world economy. 
Well, to that point, your piece is the historical backgrounder, and there's an interesting kind of historical observation here for in your piece. For the past 25 years or so, certainly in regard to both wars in Iraq, we've heard this criticism that the United States is going to war for oil. And you write in your piece at Strategica, talking about the first Gulf War, quote, the commitment of U.S. military forces by President George H.W. Bush to Saddam's invasion of Kuwait did in fact rest, as its critics in Washington and elsewhere suggested at the time, in a desire to ensure that a substantial portion of that region's vast oil reserves remained outside of the control of a vicious dictator, end quote. Now, when the critics lodge this complaint, they do so with a tone that suggests that it is sort of self-evidently immoral to go to war for these kinds of material purposes. In, in your judgment, is it illegitimate to say, yes, we, we may be willing to go to war to protect America's supply of oil? Uh, absolutely, because of course, uh, to me, uh, the substantial portion of those who m- make that argument of who needs oil um, uh, 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 really are uh, upper middle class uh, and upper class, and um, know nothing of of their their own dependency, if you will, on a uh, a uh, if you will, um, uh, uh, global economic order supported by oil, which is, if we're going to have a globalized economy uh, um, which has brought enormous benefits to uh, um, the whole world, um, uh, for the next 50 years it's going to depend, or maybe even longer, uh, on on oil. Um, and they don't seem to see the connection uh, between those uh, those two things, uh, that, that oil is keeping uh, them... Uh, um, if you will, relatively uh, enormously uh, well off, uh, and it's sort of like the argument uh, um, that was, has been made about the uh, uh, pipeline from from Canada. That oh, this is terrible, um, uh, and uh, the supposed uh, twenty three thousand jobs aren't uh, long term jobs. Well, you know if you're <clears throat> In a secure economic position, then a two-year chance to make a substantial amount of money um, building the pipeline uh, it seems uh, nonsensical because, uh, and again, most people in the middle and upper classes um, have uh, um, a long-term employment looking at. But for people who don't make very much money, who are in the uh, lower class or the lower middle class, uh, the chance to go... Uh, and uh, make $100,000 a year for two years and have a job looks pretty attractive. Uh, and it, again, it's it's what I'd call the sort of Volvo and Olive set uh, at their worst. <laughs> so let me, let me return because you mentioned it in passing earlier to Russia because a lot of folks who are bullish about the trajectory of American energy production say, look, one more added benefit. It puts the screws to Moscow. It makes it harder for Vladimir Putin to stay afloat on the basis of of Russia's energy production. If the Kremlin comes under that kind of pressure though, does that make them less or more dangerous? (laughs) Hard to say. Uh, (laughs) um, A desperate Putin might well be willing to make risks um, that uh, would be enormously harmful uh, to the world. There's no doubt about that. On the other hand, it might uh, bring some real sense of, uh, of if you will, um, uh, common sense uh, to uh, what Russia's trying to uh, do and Putin's trying to do. Uh, that may 
might uh, um, restrain him, his position, uh, uh, given that he depends on uh, uh, on others uh, for his power as well as his own uh, uh, sort of crew, uh, and um, uh, so he uh, uh, might be more cautious. Or the uh, the boys who stand to lose substantial amounts of money uh, in terms of this might well decide that. Putin's taking too many risks, and it's time to get rid of him. Um, who knows? Um, but um, for the short term, I think, uh, unless um, the oil prices were to fall to $30 a barrel and have a, a, a catastrophic impact on the Russian economy, I, I don't think the Russians are going to be any uh, better or any worse. And of course, they're pretty nasty right now, but they're not going to uh, make uh, take take uh, risks uh, um, such as uh, a major massive invasion of the Ukraine. So, f- final question here: How much does it free up the United States to have these increased energy resources at home? Because a lot of times you'll hear to oversimplify things a bit: this idea that hey, if we produce this stuff at home, we can wash our hands of all these troubles in the Middle East. Not our problem anymore. Is that too glib? That's craziness because, of course, if uh, and, and of course that was the argument people like Pat Buchanan made in um, 1991. Well, we we you know it it doesn't matter to us. It, it's the others who will be uh, harmed far more uh, than we will. And what of course uh, that that misses uh, is is that. <clears throat> Our prosperity depends on a globalized economy. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And um, um, we're dependent on, on, if you will, the sort of massive uh, uh, movement of trade and goods uh, around the world. Um, and if that gets cut off, um, we have a catastrophic uh, economic situation. And so to allow, if you will, the Middle East to go down the drain uh, is uh, uh, asking for a uh, disastrous, catastrophic uh, um, blowback on the U.S., which is precisely, of course, what happened uh, in the uh, in the 2930 collapse. Uh, we basically said, well, we can uh, <clears throat> um, things have gone really nastily, and so we'll protect everybody in the U.S. and cut ourselves off from the rest of the world. And the result of that was a catastrophe for us and a catastrophe for the rest of the world. All right. Our guest has been Williamson Murray, Ambassador Anthony D. Marshall, Chair of Strategic Studies at Marine Corps University and a member of Hoover's Military History Working Group. You can read his essay and those by other members of the working group by visiting us online at hoover.org forward slash strategica. That's S-T-R-A-T-E-G-I-K-A. Wick, thanks for being with us. I'm delighted as always. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.